Hey, what's up there, metalheads? This is Vinny DiBianca from Vicious Circle out of New Jersey, and you're experiencing Poppet's Corner. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Poppets Corner. Looking forward to to doing this, going up all the way to uh, to Oregon per se. But I'd like to bring on my good buddy, Mr. Eric Eisenhower of the band Wearsquatch, and a bunch of other killer bands which we will get into. But Eric, how you doing today, sir? Thanks so much for giving me a couple minutes of your time, man. I'm doing good, man. I'm stoked to be on the show. Honored to have a uh, be on here. You've had like a rad alumni of heavy hitters on here, and I'm stoked to be included. It's rad. Absolutely, absolutely. another heavy hitter, right? Yeah, I'm stoked to talk about music in general because I haven't really talked to anybody. So I'm like, and do it this way, it's even radder. So yeah, it's gonna be fun, man. It's uh, it's definitely needed. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while now, so just know that. Just been busy elsewhere, right? That's just, yeah, such as life. Yeah, totally. So basically, you know how the show works. I'm gonna go through your entire musical career, tell some stories, and just have some fun with you. So if you're ready, man, I'd love to get started. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So. Give me your first kind of recollections of just hearing music for the first time, and what were the bands that that kind of invigorated your your I guess passion to want to just be enthralled in music and play in general? One of my favorite questions I ask myself all the time too. It was uh it was early '90s, uh, MTV era kid, and then I think initially it was probably Green Day, like when uh, basket you know basket case video. And uh, like that Dookie whole record, you know, that whole thing. And then like that Woodstock performance when they're getting mud throat <laughs> thrown at them and stuff and everything. And like, but just seeing Billy Joel, like just, just playing the shit out of that guitar and those crunchy chords and stuff. I was like, whoa. And then, then I'd probably, somehow I found out about Metallica and I was always stoked on Metallica since day one. I mean, since I like, as long as I can remember, like since I was like eight, nine, I had, I always had like Ride the Lightning master and justice cassettes and then cds on me all the time through my my whole life <laughs> it's just weird i've always so i've always had that but that was what it was hetfield and probably billy joe armstrong interesting so they did play the same woodstock if i'm not mistaken in like 99 correct yeah, so yeah yeah i mean i i'm i just remember like green day having like the biggest impact and like that's when i was like i gotta get a guitar you know i was like i was like i want to learn how to do this you know I, you know that's when it first started but i didn't actually learn anything until like i was 22 and never actually started playing until i was 22 so yeah but yeah but it, i've always that was the first spark and i was like yeah head, probably headfield and billy joe armstrong now how were you discovering these specific bands because i know during that whole time era era for me yeah. personally i was watching a lot of vh1 because they were showing music videos oh, yeah. at like 6 a.m yeah. in the morning so exactly. okay oh yeah i'm like dude, vh1 mtv was on that constantly <laughs> it was like I loved all that music. I loved all the music stuff. And was it was kind of, sure, and not not to cut you off, but it was kind of right before they had MTV2. Do you remember when, yeah, when that whole... Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Where they were trying so, to, like, hey, we're going to have, like, actual music on this, kind of. <laughs> right, and then it ended up, I, I, I can't remember what happened to that specific station, but the yeah. MTV obviously turned into what they became and were becoming in the 90s, right? So Jersey Shore probably happened. That's what happened to them. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Now, after this whole thing, how are you discovering, I guess, the heavier hitters? Because, you know, we've got to think around this time. You were in what? 
elementary school, yeah, like seventh, eighth grade. grade. Okay. Third, fourth, and fifth grade. That's when I mean I was very aware of Metallica, and I was very aware of Megadeth, and like, but I was listening to Aerosmith, and I, but you know, I was like into like MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice at one point. Like, but I was just always thinking like, you know, like John Cougar Mellencamp, Brian Adams. Like my mom loved that stuff, and she'd be playing, and I'd like be into it. But like, but it was always like a dude with a guitar, like a front man, you know. And I kind of, kind of, kind of like that was like this that whole silhouette, you know, and everything. I was like, I want to do that, you know. I want to play music, and I was just like, but yeah, but it, but finding out about the heavy bands that like that came a little bit later, like later in my teens, late like late teens, high school and stuff. Were your friends just showing you some of the heavier style bands? And around this specific time, were you wanting to actually play an instrument yourself, or when did that whole thing kind of come into your your? Uh your career so to speak yeah like so like i guess like all through my life like no matter what i was doing like i was always kind of like a metalhead but i was like the only one in my friend group like nobody like i was the only guy that would have like you know the justice cassette or master puppets and stuff or rain and blood or some anthrax cities and stuff like that or rust in peace laying around you know i mean i always it was like mandatory and that and guns and roses and stuff i had to have it but like yeah like i've always wanted to play guitar but there was a couple of like times I gave it a shot early on, but just like, you know, no one was there to sh show me like a power chord or even show me how to tune it. I'm just like a little kid. So I'm just like strumming on it, you know, muting the strings. And that's all I kind of did for a minute. And then later on, yeah. The, when I found out about the heavier bands was like, I was, uh, used to be heavily into riding BMX. That was like my thing. And, uh, my I had my buddy Shad, he's like he knew I loved horror movies and I was into metal stuff, but like he he knew I didn't know about like rad bands like the underground. And he showed me Merciful Fate, King Diamond, and it was like it was all over then. That was like <laughs> then I was like, dude, what? And then I then I then I got kind of thrown into underground metal, uh, uh, you know, life or like scene or whatever. But you know, just listening to it as a fan. And then like three inches of blood came around and they were, that was like that era is when I was like, Oh man, I'm really stoked on this shit. You know, like, but then, but yeah, but I still hadn't picked up the guitar for real yet. Now, let me ask you this. Cause you mentioned BMX and again, I'm pertaining it to my specific life. And I was always into, you know, making jumps out of mud and fucking, you know, clearing over some, some ramps and jumps and, and especially with skateboarding and whatnot. So I'm curious how much, how much of, of the video game aspect came into how you were discovering these bands with like Tony Hawk Pro Skater? Did oh, any of this come into to play with you? Because again, BMX, I'm good. assuming that's, you were playing that stuff. So that's a real good question because like when I was into BMX and stuff, and like and I'd watch skate videos and it always had like really rad music for the for the people's the you know skateboarder or the the riders part, and there'd be like there was like these there was one video that came out that had like a dude was riding to a uh, dyer's eve and it was just like the raddest thing you've ever seen you know it was like dude was just like charging at every hitting all these crazy street spots and gnarly rails and it's like dyer's eve is blasting and it just fit and i was like i love the music with the writing and how it mixed and there's another gnarly dude that was just doing like the gnarliest street stuff and he's riding to rain and blood and it's just like so good an angel of death like they kind of mixed it together and it was like what and i was like so I kind of fell in love with music even more because I in odd and visual stuff too. But I still like, I was like, I want to play guitar one of these days. I want to learn how to do it, you know. But yeah, I still hadn't really done it yet until I was like 20, 22 when I started. It's interesting with our age group growing up in the nineties how much 
of video games played an aspect into how we were discovering new music or old new music, whatever you want to call it. Because those specific games for me personally had a lot of punk bands and I discovered a lot of punk bands. So I'm assuming again with the same for you. I had a huge punk uh, era, dude. I was like, no effects is still one of my favorite bands, but like that whole, like that kind of era stuff, you know, like early two thousands, like nineties, like fat records, epitaph, like kind of pop punk, I guess you can call it. But I just love the, the energy of it. And like the fast crunching of the chords and just like that that energy and that later came to play why i fell in love with thrash so much and realized and then finally realized what that even was because i was like oh it's like it's like heavy metal and with punk and crossover and that energy and that beat and i was like that's what stokes me out on this shit that shit you know so you make a really good point obviously no no effects and pennywise and bands such as oh, this were huge pennywise <laughs> sure but okay so going off of this and in the next phase with you personally, it's so I guess how are you let me explain the scene you mentioned you were, you were obviously going to more underground shows, maybe a little bit after this point, but I'm just kind of yeah. curious as far as the overall metal scene, I'm just, what was most prevalent in, and, and obviously we're talking about Oregon at this point. What, yeah, what PDX, part of Oregon? Since 83. Yeah. PDX. Is, yeah. I've always been here. But yeah, that's a good question because it was it was there that was a big part of it because I started you know I started to find out more about underground metal bands that were happening like Three Inches of Blood and so like when they were coming they came through Portland all the time I mean I've seen them like over thirteen times I think but like uh so they would come and then all the rad PDX underground bands would be there and they'd be so rad and I'm thinking they're on tour and they're on they're on you know like Metal Blade and shit. But it's like Spellcaster, you know, the guys from Idle Hands, you know, on two others and like uh, Excruciator and uh, uh, Stone Creep, which is Stone Creep is is Bewitcher now. You know, so like I saw these dudes that were like already kind of doing it and I was playing guitar at this point. So, yeah, so I kind of jumped past when I started playing guitar. But that but you asked about the scene when I started going to shows. I had been playing guitar for like probably five years or so but not really taking it serious yet but it was because of the underground bands i was really finding out about and stuff and the scene here and stuff too interesting so let's go let's go back to that point if you don't mind me asking and and what was actually your first guitar that you that you initially bought or did your parents buy it for you or why the guitar there was like like i said when i was talking about like in the early 90s yeah like one christmas i got like this costco freaking uh strat copy you know but it was like just a turd you know so it's like and that's i got it, it had like the little amp and it was just like and this does not sound like basket case or when i come around dude you know <laughs> like this don't sound like you know in bloom you know or like injustice for all or <laughs> like that so i had no idea and so then i just you know it, it is immediately like went back to play a super nintendo or something you know <laughs> i ride my bike around so like uh yeah that was uh but then when I bought my first real guitar, it was in two, 2004 is actually when I started playing. In 2005, sorry. Early 2005. And uh, I bought a Washburn, just like, you know, cheap, really cheesy V. It had like, it actually had a skull on it. But like, I was like, I got, Washburn is good because Dimebag played Washburns. You know, so like, and it just, it just kind of looked cool. And it, I just got it. And then I bought like some crate combo amp at Guitar Center. And then just, then I was I dove headfirst into it, and I that's I started teaching myself since then. You know, day one. Old school crate. Do they even make crate anymore? I I, I doubt it. 
this and this was a new school crate too. This and it was like it was like this. It was it was like supposed to be like a vintage kind of an amp on like why the dude sold it to me. He, obviously, you know, I was like, I want to sound like Pantera, and he's like, here's this crate amp that looks like it's a vintage Fender. I'm like, thanks, dude. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, like great. Even even though Dime played, uh, I think Randall's at this point or Cranks at, and. Yeah. And we got to mention this too. Around this specific time, obviously, Dime with his unfortunate passing, Washburn and Dean guitars made a huge jump as far as guitar sales. I remember a lot more people buying those. Um, what is it? The uh, what's the what's the Dime model? It's the Dean ML, yeah, the ML, or the Razor, the Razorbacks, the, oh, the one Razor of those two. Yeah, those yeah. Razorbacks. Yeah, those are kind of too cheesy for me. I love the ML <laughs> though. I gotta admit, I had my phase and I bought. Dude, I was I helped Dean make that money because I bought several of those Dean MLs. Because like the question you just like what you, the fact you just brought up the whole dime bag and note murder and everything, that is the main ingredient, the main reason why I like I'm buying a fucking guitar and I'm playing. And that because because of the how he was murdered. That was it was because of him. It stoked me out. Like I kind of like I found out he was murdered and then like somehow got like obsessed with it. Like and I started listening to Pantera like crazy and then it was like all she wrote. And I was like, I'm playing now, you know. It's uh, we have the same story almost because <laughs> oh, yeah, even though right. yeah, yeah, because around this time, again, I'm not trying to make it all about me, but no, no, I, I was like twelve. I was like twelve, thirteen around this time. So this is when I was first getting into guitar. But yeah, so if you're if you're a couple years old, yeah, this would explain how you got into it so late. So yeah, I, I, yeah always late to the game. <laughs> so in high school, were you one of the only ones? Uh, that are one of the only musicians around your specific high school, or did you start to oh, meet more musicians around this point in your no, age group? And form uh, no, bands? not to like my early 30s, man. <laughs> oh, my, my like late 20s, early 30s, because I'm 39 now, and uh, so I'm like the whole like generation, the whole scene I jumped into were like always 10 years younger than me, like all those guys are 10 years younger, like all my bandmates have always been 10 years younger, you know, like. It's just been that way. I'm just like a late bloomer, you know, because I didn't start playing when I was a teenager. I started playing when I was 22 or 23, <laughs> you know. So, so when was the point when, obviously, we you mentioned where you were going to a lot of these live shows and seeing local bands and inspired you to formulate your first. So when was that specific point in your career? Okay, yeah, that's like, so that's probably late, like 2000. 2009 2010 is when i was like that's when i really wanted to start a band and it was like because it was heavily influenced by like that new wave of thrash that came through you know in uh like warbringer havoc skeleton witch toxic holocaust you know just like all that stuff and i was like holy shit you know i was like it was more raw you know and it wasn't like it didn't sound like metallica production so i'm and i was like thinking like well shit i seen a drummer i could do that you know, because it more just have more of a stripped down, you know, version like a three piece. And so that's when I was like, I started thinking I could do it, you know, start a band. And so that's when I started like, I got to find a drummer, you know, and like, and I started writing riffs. But yeah, like bands like that. And then also like bands like Black Dally Murder and Mastodon, huge influence on me. They helped me help get out, out of the whole Pantera phase I had because I would have never got out of it. I would have had a goatee and pink. I'd be wearing camo cargos right now. If it hadn't if I'd been for them, you know, so like in those other bands I mentioned, but yeah, it got me more into like starting to want to start my own thing and be, and I just see what happens, you know, like, right. Whatever it comes up. Now, why was it that, I mean, again, 
So obviously uh, we're going to mention this too, and it's not to be not to downplay any of the bands, but a lot of the, these bands around this time were kind of Pantera clones because of the whole thing too. So I, especially when you, you know, you make your way out to the like Midwest area, um, you would see, you would see a lot more of these bands. So how did you see that right away and, and just try to, try to i guess shift your focus into something more original and not get stuck in just being a fucking pantera clone band or or any of this stuff it wasn't well like it wasn't like when i was like i was like you know he was like the main inspiration for me to play it was like just because like his energy like he put out on stage the way he played like how just rad he made it look you know i would watch that 91 donington video all the time he's playing in front of a million people i like dude that's that's what i want to fucking do you know, he looks like he's having the time of his life, <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, but I never like, I don't think I ever was like wanting to have a Pantera type band. Cause I was still in the, in the like the old school Metallica, you know, I never liked anything after uh black album and I never got, never did like, even when I was a little kid. So, and like in Megadeth and stuff. And so I was in that really and the anthrax stoked me out really big that time. And, uh, but like a band like early man, I don't know if you heard early man, like that two old two piece from, you know, East coast, that sure. band, that early man was a big inspiration on me to think, you know, to really think, start thinking like just write whatever comes out and like, you know, don't think about them you know, doing like, don't try to make it sound like, you know, gr- you know, groove metal, power groove or whatever, Pantera stuff. But uh, it's just like whatever. And I started just kind of writing thrash stuff. It's, like, it's interesting that you're, that you're saying, obviously you're taking your, I would say top 10, 15 bands and formulating into one rather than just focusing on one. And and there's a great Phil and Samuel quote that, that obviously I'm kind of referencing here where it's like, you know, don't try and sound like your favorite band, try and sound like your favorite 15 bands. And then that's how you kind oh, yeah. of formulate, good. formulate your, your sound and whatnot. Yeah, so now how would walk me through the, the death, uh, death proof and, and just the, the origins of the name. Oh, dude. Yeah, I've heard that word. I haven't had that, heard those words together for a while. So it was like when I um, found out like a but, uh, BMX buddy of mine, He I found out he played drums, my buddy Dustin. So I round him up and he had a kit. No, he didn't even have a kit. You know, tr- tr- you know the cliche. Found a drummer, but he don't have a drum kit and he doesn't have a place to play it, and he doesn't even have a car. <laughs> you know, that type of shit. <laughs> and then like so, but I knew he could keep a beat. And then so like my buddy other bmx buddy clay bought a kit and he had it in his house and i was like all these pieces were coming together and i was like oh dude we got jam spot you know we got amps you know i already had like my gibson explorer at that time and my i got pv6505 and stuff like that and uh <laughs> but yeah that's when i was like okay i want to start a band I, yeah where, what was this question again anyways i wanted to start rambling I was, I was just curious how you guys came upon the name death proof oh, and, and, yeah. and- that was yeah what, how that was we're sitting around one day trying to figure out how we're gonna you know what we're gonna call the band and i was like literally looking down my movies my dvds and stuff you know and i'm like excellent adventure you know her you know shit like that and like you know you know evil dead you know of course you can't do that you know army of darkness and i'm like looking at death proof and i keep looking at that that quentin tarantino movie death proof because i had it with the planet terror combo thing i was like death proof is kind of tight i think you know but like we'll spell it like d-e-t-h like megadeth and just make it one word it look cooler and i was just like but i then was wanting to call the band where squatch but the other guys were like nah screw that where squatch shit <laughs> and so we called the band death proof <laughs> and around this time so you obviously formulate the band 
get all the pieces together. Now, walk me through that whole feeling of just rehearsing for the first time and just it's I know it's hard to explain, but, you know, can you give me yeah. some sense of that that feeling of just putting out or just writing and putting out original material for that that first moment? It's it's so again, I, I, it's going to be hard for you to to answer yeah. this question. I know, but. Yeah, I know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? You know how it is? Like, dude, it's like I don't know. It's it's my favorite part of the whole process. I can give a shit about anything else, really. It's like giving birth to the riff and jamming it out for the first time with the drummer and, and it playing out and it's just like whoa man and like you put the whole thing the whole thing together yeah but like the first time doing that i was in i i knew that i'm this is what i'm supposed to be doing you know like this is what i should be doing and so like i was just started just you know trying to get him down there as much as possible to re rehearse and everything and walk me through the differences in terms of of musicality wise between death proof and what where squatch became Oh, so uh, uh, so I had uh, Death Proof was going on for a minute. That's when we first started, like when I first started playing live, and uh, in Portland and getting shows going. And then uh, had that going for and those other original members, they're gone. And uh, so I'm like, get, I got new members, and I'm still thinking about that Wear Squash thing. And I was like, I was like, I want a more original name, you know, blah blah, because I found out there's other Death Proofs out there. And I was like, where squash was the only thing original I could come up with. It's still at that point. I was kind of digging it. I always been obsessed with Sasquatches, <laughs> you know, like, so that's why people be calling squash Lord and stuff. And it's just like, and so I finally just, I, you know, I switched it. I got always call it the band where squash. And that was like 2010 or 11, 2011, I think. Yeah. That's, sure. when it was, that's when that kind of became the thing. Sure. But again, my, my initial question was, you know the differences in terms of musicality wise were you playing more of a thrashy variety and death oh, no, yeah. compared to to wear squatch or more yeah, death yeah. metal oriented or i'm just kind of curious yeah how the the like, evolution it, of it yeah like well it was just like if that kept evolving you know it was just like had um death roof it's definitely more simple riffs that's when i first started writing the riffs but i was also getting into more bands more extreme bands like listening to death and like uh just getting to learn more about other bands like black metal bands like dissection and stuff and uh skeleton which was huge on me and then like but yeah i started my, the progression of writing just kind of was natural you know so like i didn't i didn't i didn't think like oh now it's worse watching i'm gonna start doing it gnarlier it just was like whatever i was writing you know it was just like whatever's coming out did you ever record with death proof is there are there any demos that are just floating around out there or maybe on reverb nation <laughs> that <laughs> dude honestly i think they're on there but no it's uh i got a song called they live on there i think it's one called machete maniac but okay. uh so movie more movie references as far as as the early yeah. stuff okay i'm all like about movies huge influence yeah i mean like i got, I got the i got so many john carpenter shirts i don't know what to do with them you know it's like i got everything around i love horror movies now you mentioned that you started to go to more local shows underground. Was this the moment where obviously death proof started to play more live shows and you established more connections as far as promoters go or venues? Cause I don't know what, I don't know how much metal per se is out in, in Portland around yeah. a specific time because everything was happening. Obviously we're, we're, where I'm from, which is like LA, Orange County yeah. area. So as far as metal, metal goes. 
Yeah, it was. That's a good question because, like, once like once once I found out about like these more like the Portland based bands, like I mentioned, like Spellcaster, Excruciator, Stone Creep, stuff like that, and I was like, whoa, there's dudes in this town that are like doing this stuff, and and like I didn't have any heavy metal friends. Like at that, I mean, I had a couple like BMX boys that were into heavy metal, but like I didn't know any of these dudes. So it was yeah, how, how I got into it was just um. Yeah, I just started playing, like just trying to ask it on shows, basically, and then just kind of, you know, just trying to get on a spellcaster show and meet the guys, you know, and like get on a excruciator show and meet that, you know, because they were like on uh earache, excruciator was on an earache and stuff at that time, and it was just like I, they were killing it, you know. Whenever rad bands came through, they always opened up for them. So like I just kind of like squeezed my way in there, you know, just kind of just kept asking to play shows, just kept emailing, adding people on Facebook, you know, MySpace and stuff. Now you mentioned MySpace, and I'm curious how much of of social media played a part in you discovering the underground scene. Huge, and then yeah, huge, and being able to like see like the members, like you know, like them, just like seeing the life, how you know, being on tour, and I was like just so fast fascinated with it. I love traveling, so I was like, I knew touring would be like my favorite thing in the world if I ever got a chance to do it. So I you know I was just like, I knew I was game for it, and then but yeah, just seeing all those bands like savior and scale to witch and yeah this having them on there and it's like they listen to it all the time and then there was like on tv there was like that music choice thing that cable thing and it had like videos on all the time that you could watch whenever and it was like yeah that was huge too but yeah right. it's by chance because like, like i said i didn't have any like buddies i didn't grow up with like a gang of metalheads it was just me and then but you'll listen to like tupac and stuff nothing <laughs> wrong with tupac dude nothing yeah. wrong with tupac yeah. um so going off of this point, you know, so we also had blogs and whatnot. And again, yeah. I have to ask the stupid question, but how, how much of that played into part of how you discovered, again, the, the L.A. market, per se, and bands of the underground? The blog stuff, no, I didn't really, I never been in that, I got in that kind of stuff, per se, but like, just like, um, I don't know, just kind of just. Once you got, you know, once I kind of got tapped into like that whole underground metal scene, you just kind of started finding out about bands and where they're from and stuff. But like, yeah, the LA stuff just happened, just, you know, by happens, you know, by chance. I mean, I didn't really like dig that hard. It was like, oh, there's a Warbringer video on Music Choice and there's Toxic Holocaust, you know, and it's like, they're <laughs> like, okay, look these guys up on MySpace or Facebook, you know, and then add them on there and follow them. And yeah, and like, yeah, they start finding out about other bands through them too. Yeah, it's kind of like a ripple effect. Right, like a, almost like a rabbit hole. Yeah, so it's like trading, but like not actually, it's on social media. That's I, that's the way I had to do it, you know. And it's free. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It was so, how? When was the moment when you specifically, obviously, let's let's get behind the name of of Where Squatch and obviously the origins of, of where it came from? Because where where do I find a, a Squatch per se? Like, yes, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. I've, people ask me, "What's the origin of the Where Squatch?" Well, I'm like, you know, like basically, it's a hybrid werewolf Sasquatch, or it could be like a person that turns into a Sasquatch on a full moon or whatever, some shit, you know, like. But like, because you could be like a were, you know, werewolf or were duck or something. You take, you turn into a duck. But so how it came about was weird. Like I've, like I mentioned earlier, I've always been into Sasquatches because I've always lived up here in the Northwest, and I've always like kind of believed in them. I don't know. <laughs> so like, so I just kind of stoked. I got a giant Sasquatch tattoo on my side too, and everything. So like, I uh, one day this is a funny question too, because like 
how I came up with the name. It just came to me because of a black Dallin murder shirt. They had like this really neon purple and pink shirt that had this gnarly werewolf on it. Like it was this ripping flesh and stuff. And I was looking at it and he was like a really overgrown werewolf thing. And it's just like really gnarly and cool. And I was like, and I just went wear squatch. And that was it. And I was like, I'm gonna start a band called Wear Squatch. <laughs> that was like that was 2008. So that was early. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So uh, and and so we obviously we established that Wear Squatch kind of came into the fold around 2011 2012 era. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And walk me through just obviously finding the new members and recording essentially what would become your first, I guess, proper release, which would be the self-titled EP. Yeah. So that yeah, so I'm uh I'm probably on my third drummer at this point. This uh old buddy of mine, still a good friend of mine, Tanaya Ty Ward. He uh I just met him at a burlesque show in town and he was wearing an Evil Dead shirt and I was wearing like an Evil Dead shirt, I think. And it was instantly like, Hey, what's up? You play music? Oh yeah, I play he play I play, you play drums, yeah, I play guitar, I got a jam space over here. Let's jam. Boom. He was in now he's in the band. And so yeah, I met Ty. And he was like really stoked on it. He was like one of the funnest guys to write riffs with. And it's like really just as motivated. Finally got like a guy that was just as motivated as me to be down at the rehearsal space. You know, like he was always stoked to be down there and just help, you know, like helpful with like, you know, writing different arrangements and riffs and stuff. But uh, so, yeah, I started playing with him and then he was like, we should record a demo. I was like, yeah, you know. And so we started, he's like, I know this guy at Smegma Studios, you know, we can just go there and just play through him one weekend and he'll record him. Well, and we did an analog too. <laughs> we just did a, right, a one cut. Wow. So yeah. this explains so much because so, so he had more of the connection based. Yeah. He's more connected with the scene than I was. So he was a huge part of that too. Yeah. Now, what is your overall dynamic with him in terms of, of your chemistry with the writing? What does he bring more to the table than, than, than you do or vice versa? Well, he was like a super, he, he, he is a super awesome guitar player. He was in uh, this band called Heathen Shrine. Super gnarly tech death stuff, like just, you know, miles beyond my playing ability at that time. And uh, he was just like a killer guitar player. And, uh, but he, he, he was so, he just had like a background in drums too. And he, in punk and stuff. And like, you know, he just like grew up on all that thrash stuff. He, he was like, he was an encyclopedia of knowledge for music too. But he helped, he helped me, he opened me up a lot of stuff. And, uh, but yeah, us riffing though, he just had this energy. He, he had a super bright energy and he was always a stoked. He was ha like, you know, he was like really had a lot of input. He wasn't just sitting there just like whatever. Yeah. You know, he was like really stoked and he, and he's a guitar player. So he could help with riffs too, you know? And he handled, I'm assuming he handled more of the business aspects. So booking shows. And, oh, that was and... all me. It's always been me. I've always done that stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the EP gets recorded. Now, what is the initial reaction around your specific area and how do you properly promote this around this specific time period? Cause I'm assuming you had, didn't have PR connections or this, that, oh, and the other. Did. Yeah. It is, it is. Yeah. This is, so we get that sucker you know, recorded. I, I looked at it as a glorified demo cause it was like, you know, it basically was, but it was cool. And uh, my first re real recording experience and it was like super fun and everything. And uh, so we got through that and, um, you know, doing vocals and stuff on it and everything. And it was just like the first time really doing that stuff. So it was cool. And then, um, so like by releasing it, you know, we didn't like, we just finally put it out there because we just wanted something out there that was kind of cool that represented what we were doing and sounded good. But like that's in a, but from promoting it, like I knew we, need, we needed to get it mastered. And that's how I got in touch and got connected with Joel Grind. 
because he was mixing and mastering people's stuff, you know, from wherever he was at the time, like in LA, or I think he might've moved to Portland at that time by then. I think he actually was still down in LA at the time. But yeah, so I was like, I want him to like put his touch on it, you know, cause like, it's like, make it sound as rad as possible. And like, just kind of, you know, like I want to be involved. I want to like meet these guys, you know, I want to like, you know, like just, I don't know. I was like, he'd be stoked if he mastered it. I thought, <laughs> so he had him do it. And that's how I met him. Interesting. And I'm going to go off subject here. So just, just bear with me and just, just let's just let it flow around this time. I'm just curious. You guys are playing a lot of live shows, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So recently I've discovered a couple of soundboard recordings that, that I never heard from us. And I'm curious, did you ever have any of those shows recorded and, and could you potentially release any of them? Are they, like sound no probably not not i mean they might be out there i would i don't know but yeah that's a good question because we played like a a lot of shows at this place called hawthorne theater and that's where like de- big acts come to like death angel and stuff and whoever anthrax you know exodus uh panther not panthers you know like uh, municipal waste and stuff and uh we started hopping on like you know we did like it was basically like a pay-to-play thing so but yeah but like you know like you know you sell these tickets and you can you get to open up for these guys. We did that for a long time, but like, uh, they, it'd be cool if they record something, but no, I don't think we have anything like that out there. Really? Cause I would assume it'd be, it'd be so easy just to, to do that. Venues have the capacity to, of doing that stuff. So yeah, it would be it definitely like, there was some like video and stuff. It was like people got video and stuff, but I don't think they any like good audio recording, but that would be super rad to hear. <laughs> it'd be interesting as hell. Yeah. Right. And, I, I was just generally curious with that stuff because I always love hearing uh, these like hidden gems, so to speak. Yeah. And even if it's not the greatest, but still just to document those those yeah. times um, is super important for for any band. Would you agree? Oh yeah, like you know, I'm like when I look at when I watch like uh, like when I get stoked on music, I'll pull up like those old like. 85 to 87, 88, you know, Metallica videos. I'll put, but like with the giant camcorder where all you hear is people screaming and the static, ah! you know, and like, it's just like they come out and just, just destroy for, you know, an hour and a half. And you're like, what the, and I'm just watching it on my YouTube, on YouTube, you know, on my computer. I'm like, just imagine being there. But yeah, like, and, or hearing those, you know, those onboard recordings or whatever, those, they sound so rad, like how raw it is and the energy and stuff. You could, you know, like that's real shit. Right. And it's, it's almost, I wouldn't call it a bootleg, but I really, I really love bootlegs for for any of your favorite bands. It's just super important. So obviously there's, when you release that stuff, there's nothing you can do about the mix, but just generally curious if you guys had any in your guys's quote unquote vault, because every band has a vault. Nah, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that'd be kind of cool to look up, but I don't know. There might be one out there, man. You might find one and, and release it later on. So let, let's go off of uh, off this point. Around 2013, 2014, was this the moment when you guys started to tour around outside of Portland? Yeah, like, well, yeah, we would go up to Seattle, Tacoma and stuff every once in a while. I mean, I can't really remember when it was like the first little, we did a West Coast run. And I, I think that was one of the first time we play, met you guys down there at, in L.A. or or whatever it was at the uh, side door. Side side yeah. 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 And I think that was our first West Coast run. Yeah. And that was like that. But that was like after we released that the, the first full length. I think that was. Right. Like, but yeah, we were just playing around Portland and the northwest area. Like we didn't really go anywhere else. 
Okay, maybe I'm confusing the time period. You're right. It, it was around 2015, 2016. So let's yeah. go prior to, to this. So your first album, what made you guys want to record a first album around the mid quote unquote tens? Oh, the mid tens. Yeah. Like, so you're talking about like Frozen Void, the first. Correct. Point. Yeah. Like that was because I um, had um, Tyler Becker got on board for drums and he's this killer, you know, obviously. And like playing, been playing with him forever now. But uh, so he was on drums. I had this had a awesome lead guitar player, Alex Ponder, who plays for Leather Bitch and stuff now. And he was just like Richie Blackmore, but super shreddy and stuff. And it was just like killer. And I had a, uh, my buddy Wes on on bass. And to me, that I felt like finally had like the full my you know the formula was there. I had in my head, you know, I had all the right pieces in place, you know, all the right members, and it was you know vibing really well and writing stuff. So yeah, I was like time to record that first length. The first full length, you know, let's get in there and do it because we had the songs, so it was like time to go and record it. And again, why not go back to like Joe Grind and whatnot at this point? Oh, we did okay, we, good. Yeah, now this is when we really got to know Joel when we became buddies and stuff. So, like, Joel was living here and uh, he um, he was recording bands in town, like you know, doing all the engineering and stuff and producing. So of course, and I was already I was already like talking to him a bunch after he uh, mastered our first little demo or EP deal, and so we just yeah we just went and uh, hit him up and like yeah let's book a week with Joel and we went in there and went to Falcon Studios you know where like a lot of bands in Portland record at, and it was like here we are with Joel and, you know we're tracking, and we did it in a week seven days or yeah about yeah seven days we did it. So did he have more input as far as mixing and mashing and just recording in general? Because I thought you mentioned he only did a certain portion of the EP. The EP, he just mastered it, yeah. Okay. So yeah. he had more input as far as recording, yeah. and, and was he helping you guys arrange the songs and whatnot and cutting uh, parts like, out, no, like a real producer? Yeah, I know. Like, we, he didn't really, like, there was no, like, producer stuff going down, really. It was just, like, we already had these songs, and it was our first one. And we are just, like, we wanted to see if we can get this shit done in a week. You know, because it was, like, you know, recording's not cheap. You know, it's not free. So we uh, we just got in there and got it done. But, no, he was just, like, tracking, you know, getting the best performances out of us and stuff. And uh, and it was just, like, yeah, really cool, really awesome experience. You know, learning experience for me. Like, just, like, being in the room with somebody like that and recording. Like, trying to get more comfortable with it, you know. Like, kind of confidence building and stuff. And, like. But yeah, it was super fun. He's like the Raz. He's super fun to record with. <laughs> you know, he's just super funny. We have it was a great time. And, and I'm gonna get to the album cover per se, and it's obviously on the screen here. But oh, yeah, bef even even before this, when does Stormspell come into play here? Because they were releasing obviously some thrash like splits with bands and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And around this time period, they were releasing a lot more thrash oriented uh albums and obviously this is this is one of them oh. so i'd be just curious when that whole thing comes into play here oh so yeah so star spell like once we got uh frozen void done and recorded and everything and joel mix and mastered it also and uh you know, handed it over and we had it and he, and he said like he goes yeah he goes don't self-release this guys you know don't sell yourself short you know try to try to get someone to release it for you you know and so so we started sending out the labels and storm spell um they knew about Stormspell because Tyler's other band Gladius at the time already had like a little CD distribution deal with them. So I hit him up and the dude, is, you know, he wrote me back real quick and then we started talking to him and he hooked us up, you know, helped us out. Intr was he, did you have the, the album artwork right yeah. then and there? Okay. So you had everything. Yeah, we seen someone to like put it on 
whatever kind of format for us. And like, if he's wanted to spit something, you know, some kind of legitness, you know, le- legit, legitness in there. Yeah. And who did, who actually did this album cover? If you don't mind me. Uh, Andre Buzikoff, I think he said, but like, he did a lot of waste stuff, you know? Yeah. And he's, he's a lot more people are going to, to him per se. Yeah. Uh, for their album covers these days. Cause I think he did, uh, a, a couple, didn't he do toxic Holocaust as well? I think, I think he, he did. Yeah, he did one of Toxics, and then, uh, but he did a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff for Municipal Waste, and uh, so yeah, I was really aware of him at the time, and like, of course, we're like, get uh, uh, Repka, you know, or something, you know, like, yeah, like you know, way a lot of money, but like, yeah, we we were hitting, up, I was hitting up comic book artists and stuff, you know, that I saw like that did red artwork, and and uh, but I hit up Andre, and it seemed like the right guy for it, you know. He said he could do it in time frame because we had everything ready to go, and we wanted to get out as soon as we could. And he was like the perfect guy for it. And he's like, yeah, all the ideas I threw at him, he was like, just brought you know made it reality. It was rad. Now with Stormspell, were they just doing the distro for you? Did you guys have to handle the PR at this point, or yeah, I'm just they just, okay. yeah, they we just all they did was the uh, CD distro stuff, and like they might have shared it on their Facebook. You know, but yeah, it was all it was all us. You know, like I, I don't think he cared about selling those CDs or something too bad because I don't know he didn't really try to hustle them out for us. Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know this. Again, you got to excuse my ignorance here, but I didn't even know this came out on Stormspell. Oh yeah, hell, I really I almost I almost forgot too. <laughs> so yeah, no, but it's funny because Stormspell released the next one too. So yeah, I I love I love him. he's cool. So yeah, he's always right. well. I I knew that he that they released the uh, the maddening memoir. Oh yeah. They have like, I think they have like two different, two different like logos now. There's like one from that back then and the new one. So he might have like even noticed. He probably saw it and didn't think it was Starspell. Right. Yeah. Well, that like, that too. Rebranded or something. But I, I just remember seeing, not seeing this album cover. Is my point. Like I didn't oh, yeah. get to see it around this, this time period. And and you guys obviously toured for it as well. So it just, it, it explain the initial reaction either on the road or locally wise or both when it came to the frozen void and, and how you guys obviously getting the CDs in your hand and being like, fuck, this is awesome. It's a real yeah. fucking CD. Oh it's yeah. Fun. The insert and stuff, you know, their pictures in there and like, you know, the thanks and stuff, you know, I was like, you know, I used to look at and read Metallica's all the time and after I saw the people they're they're, they're thanking and stuff. And it's like, you tell like their little, their inside jokes and their homies and stuff. But yeah. It was just like, it was so cool to write that stuff out. Like, you know, but yeah, I was like just getting it in hand. It was like, yeah, it was really cool. It was kind of surreal, you know, I was like, oh, hell yeah, we're doing it, you know, like, and then, then, you know, then these dudes hooked us up in town and put them out on cassette, a little small run of cassettes. And that was really cool, you know, like, hell yeah, because I grew up on cassettes. And I was like, hell yeah, I got a cassette of the first record, you know, so yeah. And this was during the time too, when cassettes weren't like nearly like as Not hip totally as they now. are now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We um, sold, they, they sold quick though. They always sell faster than the CDs. You know, like if you have like a hundred of them, they go quick. Or if you have fifteen of them, they go quick too. Like it's like, damn, they're all gone. <laughs> well, it's like a novelty. It's yeah, part of it's nostalgia. I wonder uh, how people are actually listening, using those, and listening to them. <laughs> you know, I wonder like, too because I like to keep mine in the plastic, but I'm a yeah. collector. So, um, how much touring did you guys end up doing for this specific record besides the West Coast for maybe like two weeks? If I have my cards right at this point, when we we played with you guys down there, yeah, correct. That was like five shows, I think, five or six shows a week long. And it was like the first time, like, okay, we're doing it, you know. And uh, we even, we didn't even have a bass player at the time. So we went out with two guitars and one drum and the drums. 
and we just played, you know, and like, uh, but yeah, it was, that was our first, you know, doing like a kind of legit tour, but then we got asked to do that striker tour, which was more of a national run with spellcaster and stuff. And that's when we like really got thrown, you know, really did a real tour, but yeah, that's when we meet people like in Kentucky and a dude would actually have her CD. And he'd be like, you know, he's stoked on it. And he said he found it at some use, you know, like a, like a GameStop or something. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? And that's when he started finding out, like, oh, damn, this stuff is circulating, you know, like, started getting fans from Russia and Japan and China and, like, you know, Brazil and stuff. They're writing all these messages. And it's like, you know, Bandcamp was huge, too. You know, Bandcamp's the best, I think. I love Bandcamp. Oh, interesting. So I didn't realize Bandcamp went that far back. I thought that was like a new revolution within, like, five or six years but you might be you might be right as far as that yeah, goes was around for that for frozen boy for sure i mean we released it on there first i think yeah I'm such a late bloomer on this shit when it comes well, to like Bank Bank yeah Bandcamp rules because yeah it's like people the people can write messages or like, like give like reviews on your page and stuff you know it's rad i think it, it, this was probably in its infant stage too right because it was brand it was brand new i just i just heard of it at that time so yeah, I was like, oh, we're everybody's using this now. Okay, let's go use that. Now, as far as the music goes, how was the initial reaction towards people doing even just locally wise? Oh yeah, it definitely kind of. I feel like it kind of put us up on a bit, like a little bit of a higher level because you know of like a you know like seriousness or something. Like we're trying it, we're trying to do this, you know. And like there was a lot of Portland bands that never never make it to that point they put like a rad EP out or something, you know, some demo and it blows up. But then like six months later, they're toast, you know, they got, they're split up to all these other bands and then they never, re never record that first full length. But yeah, we got to that point. We got that first full length out. So yeah, that showed like the promoters in town and other bands that we were like taking it serious. So yeah, we definitely got better opportunities for sure. You know, now, and like, sure. Not, and not to cut you off again, but I'm just curious as far as the legitimacy, the legitimate, C goes uh, yeah. what you're saying does it come with releasing a full-length record or does it come with being signed and or both well i think i was i think just putting the full-length album together is more like I, for me personally it makes it more like the legitimacy um yeah I, didn't, I never felt like we were signed so i never had that i i've never had that feeling so i don't know if that's even like but i'm sure it's cool but like i we, we only got like distro deals you know, and it was like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll make this many. We we'll give you this many. You guys can sell them, whatever. We're going to sell these. But yeah, we never, but yeah. So like it, it was cool to, to think that they're supporting, you know, they're knowing they're supporting you and stuff. But yeah, I wasn't like, oh, we've got a record deal, you know, <laughs> it was like, but yeah, it was just like, it, but yeah, but having like, you know, having someone put it out, having like the actual physical, for, you know, CD, you know, and having merch, playing every show we could, playing, trying to get on every show that was like for all, like in all the um, touring bands coming through. You know, being the being the local opener band, you know. And were you guys still doing pay to play, even though you, you had a full length album and and were quote unquote signed and and yeah, like but we kind of I think well I think after Frozen Void we kind of like retired that shit because like it was never like we actually literally paid it was just like we had to work and hustle those tickets so like the first time we get like you know like hey if you guys want to play with Death Angel can you sell fifty tickets that type of vibe. You know that kind of pressure, and so then you sell them all your aunts and uncles and family members. You know, then you actually sell them those first time. That promoter will get let you on another one, but if you don't pr produce them those fifty tickets or so again, they're like, well, "Screw you guys! We need one another band that has all the aunts and uncles coming, cousins." Sure. 
Now let's go to 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 this point or whatever. Around like 2017, 2018, I remember when Madras was touring with um, Silent Scream. We came through Portland, and I believe you guys played with us. I think we did. Because yeah. I remember yeah. me running into you in that parking lot. I can't. The, it was like the Twilight Zone bar. Or what is Twilight it? Uh, yeah, there you go. Twilight that Cafe. place. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was yeah when you guys came. Yeah, that's when we uh yeah when you guys came through Portland not too long ago. Yeah, that was right. Like, yeah, that it yeah, was. that's the first show. That's the first venue I ever played in Portland too. That one. Yeah, is that place even still there anymore? The building is, but the Twilight Cafe is at a different location now, which is bummer. I see. I yeah. see. Uh, it, I just remember. Maybe because it was an off night, but I, I had a lot of fun playing it. I just remember not it not going over so well as far as the people goes. But it's also, yeah. you know, a lot of stuff was probably happening that day. And it was probably on like a Tuesday or some yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, so if um, it's like a weekday, it's always tough. And then like also if there's another show in town, oh man, like it's hard to get, you know, people out. If there's like just one, there's one, one show, it's cool because everybody comes. But like it can get split up pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. I just notice a lot more, I guess, thrash-oriented bands coming out of of Portland around the, your this specific time period. So, yeah, you start. Were you guys starting to play any festivals around this time in in Portland or anything? Is there any of that stuff going on? We yeah. Well, at one point we got asked to play a. Um, I can't remember what the hell it's called, but um, it was a big metal fest that like all the red bands around would play and um. Who puts it on is the guy from ceremonial castings you uh Iwata, jake he uh he puts on this rad show like three-day festival and we he asked us to um play it at one point and that we ended up not doing it because one of the members had like a family emergency at the time but like it was rad like we, that's like that's like the first like legitimate when we got asked to be on and being recognized by the peers you know because like you know those guys like yeah the guys in Iwata and ceremonial castings like they're legend they're black metal like they rule black metal in north in america i think <laughs> like they, they they're awesome How, what is your favorite aspect as far as music goes are you uh, you mentioned touring you've mentioned recording you've mentioned playing like a, a show in general producing what is your favorite aspect with just in music in general oh uh, really i mean all of it for, for, for like like you know to be honest, I love all of it, but like, like I said earlier, like my probably my favorite thing is the songwriting part of it, you know, just like, and that's huge for me. That's always like, that's like, that really gets me stoked on it. You know, then it, that kind of snowballs and it, you know, fine tuning it and then bringing it playing it live, you know? And that's like, it's like, yeah, it's awesome. That's the whole, the whole process of songwriting is one of my probably my favorite parts, you know, and getting really into the lyrics and stuff. It's hard, you know, it's like, you know, you probably, experience too lyrics are always tough but like once you finally get stoked on an idea you're like oh shit this could be cool you know and like but yeah that stuff but yeah but i love playing live obviously i love the energy when it's a rad crowd and everything but yeah but i love like but yeah the interaction with the musicians also the other members like the bouncing off each other ideas and stuff that I, everything. are you kind of a band that writes together in a in a garage or or jam space or are you guys more I guess doing it on superior drummer or something and, and formulating your songs that way. Do you like both aspects? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I am like, I might have the setup for computer stuff, but I am not good with it. I'm just figuring it out now. So like, I just got like, 
the stuff now, but no, I've always been like an old school guy. Like I, I'm going to like be in a rehearsal space with a real drummer, real members, but usually all I need is the drummer, you know? So I got to have that. And I, I, I really can't like that. I never programmed drums in my life. You know, like I've never done that. I play with it. I play a lot of the click and write riffs or I'll um, pull up the drum tracks on YouTube and write my riffs, you know, something like this kind of improv over it. And that's when I don't have like Tyler here or something, you know, but like, but when we Tyler and I would get together, man, we could just sometimes we'd write shit like this crazy. Right. I'm like, where'd we come up with that? Cause it's whatever his beat, you know, I'm like, well, okay. I mean, started doing it. It's just like, wow. And like a lot of songs came up like that. just natural, like just ripping off each other. When I'm going to shift my focus here. When was the point when, when Joe Ryan approaches you be, because Toxical Lacoste was having some lineup issues and obviously he's worked with you guys beforehand, yeah. but out of all the guitar players, and all the drummers, he picks you guys. And I'm just curious what, in your opinion, what he saw that was different than what he could have gotten elsewhere. Hey, that's a good question. Cause, uh, that's I could answer that pretty good. <laughs> like uh, so, well, uh, since we're, so we're like we have that relationship with them now. You know, we recorded with them that first. He mastered our record, then he recorded with them, and then we did Maddening Memoirs with them. And then one in one one day before over one day in between tracking, I just start picking his brain about his members, the live members. I'm like, how you guys ever rehearse? They live in Connecticut or something. How does this work? I'm like, I was like, how do you guys do that? You just go to Vakan and play a show and don't even fucking rehearse. He's like, yeah. We fly in different planes every day. I'm like, what? And I was just like, that's crazy, man. I go, because like in, he Joel lives here, and I just kind of I just threw it out there. I think I planted a seed, honestly. I go, hey, you know, if you ever need a guy and you need, you need a drummer and a, a guy, you know, guitar, because you know at this point he's playing bass live, and he just gets like a drummer and like Charlie and Nikki Belmore, they were doing that. But yeah, I was like, if you ever need like a guitar player and a drummer, you know, Tyler, I go, you know, Tyler and I would do it for sure. We'd help out. We'd do it. I just kind of threw it out there just jokingly, <laughs> you know, like, and I think that planted a seed. And then next thing you know, a few months later, Joel slips me a text message asking if we got like passports and shit. I was like, Oh, we got on vacation together, <laughs> you know? And so he's like, yeah, maybe I'll keep in touch. And that went from there. Interesting. Now, do you prefer him on bass or, or guitar just as a fan perspective? Oh, live and stuff. I, yeah. I want him on guitar. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, he, I, he not playing like, like not, it's like this. I think, yeah, he, he, he uh, he's, it's his riffs, you know, I think he kills it, but yeah, like, but he's, but he's just, just as awesome being a front man with the bass. It's cool. Cause he can live out his angel ripper kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know, stuff and venom stuff, you know, like he's getting that out too, but it's rad. He can just both, but yeah. But you know, I saw, I saw toxic a lot when he was on guitar, you know, and I, yeah, I thought he's always killed it at that. But so I prefer that live. I have the opposite reaction. I thought on bass he was just like vicious as fuck. That, that's yeah, you're, right. you're right. That's what I should have said. But yeah, he's more loose and he's fucking a mo like a monster on the front man. With the I mean, when I saw you guys play oh, a couple of years back at the in San Santa Ana, oh I, yeah, I, I did, couldn't believe he was on bass for one. Yeah, and just noticing his the energy that he could get away with maybe because you quote unquote can't really hear the bass live too yeah. much. So he can get away with more of that aspect. But I just thought yeah. overall, the band just sounded so vicious and it was just what I love in my thrash metal. Yeah. That, that, that show was a special one too. Cause that was like our last one with waste on that tour. So it was just like, 
yeah, that one, that one, that one definitely sticks out in my mind. That whole tour is one of the cooler ones for sure. Where we all were literally like behind the the yeah. fucking drummer. Dude, the I always guy. wanted to be that. I always wanted to be that those cool guys back there, and we got to do it. And that dude, how you see, remember how many times I stage dove? I never, I couldn't stand still. And then I I dive out, and Tony'd be like, Eric. And I'd be like, yeah. ah. <laughs> you know. Like, I always was afraid you would get kicked out. If it's dude, like, no, no, it's just a band. <laughs> I, I thought I broke a rib. I had a hell of a time sleeping that night. Let me tell you. <laughs> that was the, the, again, and I want to thank you for, for being so gracious to me and Pops at that show because I had no idea for one you were playing with them. Two, right. just I just went to go see the fucking show and I was like, oh, my buddies are playing because you yeah. guys look so familiar and I hadn't seen you in years. Yeah. Right. So my memory is kind of foggy yeah. and, and whatnot, but it was just cool just to see my friends succeeding. So it. And going off of this point too, where let's let's go to the next step in your specific career that I that I have is uh, is the maddening memoirs and just your choices as far as wanting to work with the same people and the comfortability level. So walk me through your just overall choice of uh, of putting this record together. Well, yeah, like once we started, Tyler and I started writing new riffs after Frozen Void. They were getting a little bit more gnarlier, more faster, a little more aggressive, you know, a little darker. And I was kind of, you know, just kind of like going off the vibe of the first record. I wanted to be more serious. And I was like kind of looking at it like, this is like, you know, this is our like, I looked at it as like, this is our master of puppets. You know, for me, I was like, this is what I'm trying to do, you know, or like, or ride the lightning or master mix. You know, I was like, this is, I'm trying to put out like, the, the gnarliest shit I can do right now, like the, just the dark, the coolest stuff. And I just like, I was, but I was really stoked. I was in songwriting mode, riff writing mode. But yeah, I, I knew like once we had, a, you know, we wanted to work with Joel for sure, you know, because he's like, he's in, he's in town recording. It was just so convenient. And he's, we're so, it's so comfortable working with them because we've done it before, obviously. So there's that. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, and at, the, at this time, it was, uh, we, it was only Tyler and I. Did, in the band as official members and we were just and we're, we're actually in this room writing all the riffs where i'm in right now and uh and so once we got them all together yeah we're like yeah we hit up joel and started tracking it musically wise what did you want to do differently on on the maddening than you did on frozen void because obviously it's been it had been a couple years yeah. since that for initial first record so musically wise how did you want to grow in terms of the first and second album more like i'll just bring like more of a serious mature level darker content uh just like less less cheesy shit you know i guess less pizza thrash if you want to call it that <laughs> you know like just kind of be like you know like the kind of vibe that like you know like i don't know like not so much like fabulous disaster but like i was mentioning more so of master of puppets you know like more serious darker because i was like i mean i was going through a lot of mental stuff at the time i was super depressed and bummed out at the time and i was like but i was in this rad fun like writing mode so it was like it was it was like you know like art they, they always write the best music when they're bummed out and stuff so i thought i was doing that you know it's interesting that you said you're you say you're depressed around this time because you just literally were playing in you know toxic holocaust and touring and doing your favorite shit so oh no before like writing this album was uh before toxic stuff oh interesting okay i did not yeah. did not know this so joel asked the whole thing happened with joel 
after we've tracked this out after maddening interesting so it didn't come out until a couple years after then. yeah yeah we didn't we, we didn't uh i didn't we didn't get it released until yeah it was well over a year after we finished it but yeah this was after uh after we like i've been i've been i was in ta- toxic for a year at that point almost and I, that's when it finally came out so yeah we've been sitting there for a while because we were sitting into all the labels and stuff and just trying to land something we we're trying to get like a vinyl deal and stuff yeah but we were just doing that waiting and being patient it's interesting when you reach a point and, and uh, let, you know, obviously jump right in here with this, but you know, it's interesting when, when us musicians reach a point that either we want to quit or we want, we can't do this anymore or the heavy shit starts to implode on us. Yeah, It's interesting that, you know, something great comes next. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Like oh, when, yeah. as soon as you want to quit something else, brings you yeah. back into music and and makes you say oh wait no i need i it music needs me here it, yeah. essentially that's how i look at it that's what that, that's because like what you were saying about like when i was talking about being being bummed out depressed and stuff during that time writing it but like so even after after it's done and recorded and it's like mixed and mastered and everything and we're sitting on it trying to get it released and we weren't getting any bites from any labels from anybody i mean I, I mean we made we made press kits for, i mean i'm emailing everybody doing all this trying you know get this going and uh so that then i got bummed out again like you're saying like you want to quit you're like what the f- man, i can't i thought this album was gonna be the one that's gonna do it you know and like but then we get the text message the text from joel so that's when that happens so i was like oh shit <laughs> we gotta do this now <laughs> you know well that again you're only proving my point is is all of us musicians i think reach that point of, yeah. of wa- not wanting to do it anymore and then you shift your focus and something happens you can't even yeah. explain it it's just you just kind of have to go with it so let's go off at this point why not use andre for the album cover why why adam burke well i was aware of his work i saw like i was i followed his instagram and stuff didn't know much about him personally or anything and uh i, I knew he did i think he did want to he did a spellcaster record and but he did he was doing a bunch of other stuff you know obviously i was you know tons of stuff but like a lot of doom bands and stuff he was doing but i knew he could do like more darker stuff but i want but the vibe he how you know like the painting you know like it's like how he paints on that real board and with the oil paint it almost looks like it's like 3d it's got like texture to it you know and uh but i was always aware of his stuff and tyler mentioned him when we were looking for a guy uh, we knew we didn't want to use andre again because we wanted this opportunity to work with someone else that was all it was you know just to see what someone else is going to do and i wanted something more darker like how what it is on, because you know side note adam burke nailed it i mean i gave him a lot of like a lot of description of what i wanted and the dude like just blew it out of the water so yeah but yeah i it was funny because tyler mentioned him and I was like, "Don't I, doesn't that guy live in Norway or something?" He's like, "No, he lives in Portland, with that, in our town." <laughs> so I hit him up, and I was like, "Oh, you're you're home, you're a local guy." I thought, how, I thought he was in Norway. <laughs> how important is it for you personally to use every everyone local to keep it local per se? Because I think you get a a more interesting, unique vibe when you keep it yeah. local to your area. There's something about it, man, that that you can't explain when you keep everything local and have local guys helping you. It's true, yeah. Once I found out Adam was local, like lived like just like a few miles away from me, I was like, 
that's rad as shit. You know, like, you know, I, I get to meet him. I get to see the actual physical artwork. I own it. I have it now. We have it. I have it right here in the room. But like, it's a, so yeah, it's a, we actually went and bought it from like, like a couple of years ago. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was cool to do that. But that's a good point. Yeah. Using local, I've always, I mean, I've only dealt with local people of all the music stuff. So it's, you get just, you just get a more, I wouldn't say pure vibe. I, you just get yeah. a more, I can't even explain it to you. Cause I've only done it once where I kept it or twice where I kept everything local yeah. and not outsourced it to other guys, but you get a more broader dynamic when you, when you reach out and, and, you know, reach people in Norway and, and Germany and whatever That's, else. Yeah. So you you just, Norway. <laughs> yeah. You just get a more interesting dynamic with that. So just curious how important it was for you guys to just keep it local on this time. Uh, well, I don't know if it was really a conscious thing really, but it's, it was just a rad coincidence. So, you know, to, to be honest, you know, I was like, yeah, I was like, I wasn't like searching for a local dude, you know, honestly, it was just like, whatever I knew. Cause, cause Andre lived in Oakland and we dealt with him just through emails. But yeah, once I found out Adam was in town, I was like, that's even better. I mean, man, that's like, because I, I I honestly thought the dude lived in the wilderness, like in the woods in Norway, like like where, like where Immortal does that video when they're running around. I was like, he's out there somewhere. So I was like, no, he's in like Portland. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Now, the initial reaction to the maddening, walk me through the differences with this record compared to Frozen Void. Were you guys taken more quote unquote legitimately at this point because of the artists and the artwork? And I, I feel like I saw more of this record than I did with frozen void. Yeah. Like, well, that definitely we're shooting for that. And then, uh, but yeah, the fact that um, Adam did the artwork and, and I think he, I think a lot of people responded to that. Like they really liked because that was different than the other shit he did. And, uh, I think it was one of like one of the most fit one of like one of his most popular ones. He shared on his Instagram and it like the numbers, you know, the likes and shit were like crazy. So like it was getting shared. I it was I saw on Facebook it was shared like thousands of times, you know. So I was like, wow, at least the artwork's getting around. You know, like there's some free PR right there. And so yeah, but yeah, I was stoked how how it all came out for sure. Like the whole look of the album and everything. And yeah, just more serious vibe. But yeah, I mean, I don't know because honestly, I don't know if it really changed like people's view on us because it we happened we released it right before the pandemic <laughs> our cd release show was our the last show right before the pandemic the last show i played like the most recent one i played so that explains back. that explains why you never toured for this thing oh no yeah exactly yeah we can't do yeah because like what because it was 2019 or 2020 when COVID hit uh march march of yeah, 2020 march. Yeah, March 2020, we we did our CD release for this, that album in November of 2019, and then boom! Wow. Yeah. Wow, dude. Who knows? See, who knows what could have happened for us two bands? Because <laughs> yeah. we we both released it almost during the pan, pretty much during the pandemic. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, that was like, damn, what the hell happened? <laughs> Everything stopped. Did, did you shift your? focus as far as as promoting this thing in other ways though because obviously you can't just rely on just touring or just doing this you know you there's other aspects to promoting a record you know doing podcasts doing interviews any of that play come into play around this time honestly i mean unless i made try to make it happen it wasn't no one really approached us and uh i wasn't really aware of how I was really naive to how you even get 
that kind of stuff out there, like get you know featured in metal injection or revolver or decibel. You know, I didn't know like you paid them money and then they feature you in a little half page. I thought they found you guys and they thought you're rad and then they. I'm such a dumbass. I'm thinking that's how it naturally happens. So I'm like, well, unless they find out about us and they dig us, we're not going to get in decibel. And then I talked to Trevor from Haunt, and he says, well, give this guy so-and-so some money, and he'll put you in there. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, that's like, that's how I kind of found out about that. So I was naive. To, I'm not good with PR, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm just like, I do. I try to do it, but, like, I, I, I don't really – I don't try that hard. I'm just like, if it don't happen naturally or organically, I don't know what else to do, you know, like. You're making a good point as far as this goes, man. A lot of bands, no offense, don't take us the wrong way, but there's a lot more of you guys than than needs to be when it comes to like needing to doing the PR thing to promoting and whatnot. Not a lot of bands seem to do that. And again, not trying to put you down at all. There's just a lot of you guys that that rely solely on. There's somebody that's going to discover it, and and that's how it's going to get discovered. <laughs> The net, yeah, like the 1986 way. Yeah, nah. <laughs> you got to get, you get paid for those ads on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Well, not even that. Just hiring a PR company is so crucial in today's market because of all the influx of fucking bands, dude. Yeah. I've never done that. Never. I've looked into it a little bit, but like we had a, we, re, we already released a Maddening and then uh, it'd been a while. And I was, and uh, you know, I'll bring up Trevor from Haunt again, like him and I are buddies now. And like, I, I, I let, I, you know, I went to him a lot for a lot of advice about like, and he really kind of shed the light on a lot of shit. And I had no idea. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that's how it worked. You know, he's like, yeah, dude, this is how it is. I'm like, no wonder. <laughs> like, yeah, we need some more money and <laughs> we need to hire somebody, like you were saying. Yeah, like we didn't know. Do you think you would apply this more and more? obviously on the next record what what is going on with and i'll get to the toxic stuff in, in a minute but what is going on with where squatch as far as new music goes is there a potential third record you know brewing honestly it's that's squatch is hibernating he's not doing anything he's like there's not much going on like there's uh no new riffs for where squash nothing like it's like kind of put on hold and i've been i kind of want to start something different i want to do a new project a little bit more you know, I'm I'm getting more into like uh, more extreme stuff, more like more death metal stuff. I'm trying to come up with something. You know, I'm trying to do like I got really into Carcass. And I'm really in like bands like Devastation from like Corpus Christi, Texas. You know, and uh, you know Demolition Hammer. You know, like that death thrash stuff. You know, like I'm really in like that more mid range vocal in there, and not the death metal one. You know, what I mean, like I like keep that kind of creator vocal thing. <laughs> you know, like. That's I'm I'm tuned down a little bit lower because I've been playing E standard my whole life. I'm trying to tune my guitar down, <laughs> you know, like so that's kind of what I'm going for. But I'm just waiting for my hands to heal up and then get the riffs to come, you know. Yeah, it seems like all of us are getting injured during this time of not playing, right? Of course. I, I, that's what I said I think it's because we're all sitting still. We're all drying up. <laughs> we need to be keep moving, you know. Exactly, man. And I and it's all too well because obviously you know, with my um, career playing in death thrash bands that's 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 my bread and butter that's where i'm at that's where it's at for me man yeah um, so why aren't you or i'm not even gonna i don't know how to ask this so oh, i'm just go gonna ahead. ask it yeah go ahead why, why aren't you in in toxic holocaust anymore as far as a live performance because the last time i saw them yeah it was only it was only tyler on drums yeah and, tyler's still a live guy yeah tyler's still a live drummer they got uh 
good buddy of mine from Utah, Rob Gray. Yeah. Yeah. Who I yeah, met, who he met through me from when we played Utah on that municipal waste tour. Super awesome guitar player. One of the best guitar players I've ever seen in my life. But like, yeah, he's really good. But he's a new guy. And uh, I mean, but basically the, the short answer of it is I got, you know, I got let go. I got fired, but it wasn't for like any shitty, like reasons for like, we got in fights or anything. It was just like my, it was all me. And like the, uh, the same, I got like, I experienced a lot of anxiety and stage fright shit with playing the toxic, to be honest. And it just kind of like, can't, it, you know, I couldn't perform at the level I felt like toxic, you know, needed obviously. And I just like, it just didn't really get any better. And it kind of was, you know, it was like, it was kind of in the air and, you know, and Joel made the decision, which I totally agreed with, you know, it's a huge bummer, but like, it's just, it is what it is. I learned the hard way, but I'm glad I tried, you know? Well, and it's only, it only did that only further your, your reach as far as connections go though. Did you start to, okay. Yeah. It was like, you know, like first tour, we get thrown in there. We're on tour with municipal waste and haunt, you know, and we're like, playing the coolest venues and like playing with all these rad bands, you know, play with nuclear assault in Brooklyn and stuff, you know, and shit like that. And board Virginia, but stuff, but you no, know, like, yeah, it's like, you know, but, but connection wise, I mean, I mean, I, I met all those guys over, I'm always with the, all the waste guys now. And they're start the cool. They're, they were everything I wanted them to be. I thought they'd be, they were just the coolest, nicest dudes. And they're so welcoming of us and everything. And, uh, but yeah, like connection wise, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I felt I rubbed a lot. Of, I rubbed a lot of elbows with a lot of big dogs, like heavy hitters and stuff. You know, playing playing right before Sodom on a Saturday night in South America in front of like ninety k is kind of cool. <laughs> you know, like so, yeah, you wow. know, yeah. So like, you know, playing seeing Angel Ripper up there and Frank, you know, he's been creator and stuff. Those guys, like the legends, you're like, damn, we're playing right before them. <laughs> And look at this crowd. You know, I all I saw was people. <laughs> you know, like amazing. Now, yeah. do you do you um, formulate your stage show differently than to a ninety thousand, you know, seat uh, uh, yeah. venue compared to a local show? Yeah, they were playing. Yeah, we're just playing at this giant field, in, in, you know, in Bogota, in Colombia, and uh, it's like kind of raining and stuff. And uh, the stage was so big, and they had like this huge, like kind of like catwalk out the front in the middle. I did. Joel's like, bring your longest guitar cable. I'm like, all right. It wasn't long enough. <laughs> like, I couldn't get that far away, dude. It was like, I thought it was like, it's a long cable, but I was like, I had, I needed like an extra hundred feet, <laughs> you know, but no, but like the live, but it was nerve wracking for sure. But yeah, it just like, once you kind of got into it and you zoned out that I, the whole idea of like, you're playing in front of so many people, <laughs> you know, you're just like, Luckily, it was kind of raining. It was kind of dark, so I don't have much memory of the people. I just remember, like, just trying to get through every song without passing out, <laughs> you know? Like, So, yeah, that's what I remember, but it was, yeah, it was rad. Why not use a wireless? Why not? Uh, oh, I don't even one. I don't know. It wasn't even offered, really. I didn't, like. I just oh, no, I'm just saying, why not bring one? Is, is my, is oh, my I, never even, I never used one before, so I don't know. I never used one. I never even thought about it, but Joel, uh, I asked Joel about that beforehand. He's like, no, nah, I just plug straight in. But yeah, so we just like I just kind of took his advice and you know, did what he said, you know, because he's okay. been in which a hell of a lot more than I had at that point. Sure. Now, yeah. uh, w- let's uh, let's branch off of this too. So when when what is cooking as far as like a new this new quote unquote death thrash band goes? Have you found members for it or? Um, uh, not not necessarily. I mean, I have like 
Tyler knows about it, but we haven't like jammed on anything, you know, at all. We haven't even jammed since the pandemic. I mean, we have, I've hung out with him a couple of times, but like, yeah, we haven't even jammed, but he's aware of it. He's stoked on the name. I, you know, I got, I came up with and he's, he's really, he knows exactly the vibe that I'm trying to go. Cause he got, he's like super in a carcass and all that stuff too. And like, he's kind of, he got, he's a big part of the reason why I got in a lot of those bands. And, uh, but yeah, but I, I mean, I don't know if he would, do it 100 or what but like i i'm sure he'd be down to tr try it out but then i have like our newest uh bass players my buddy steve i talked to him about it and that's he i'll quote what he said yes yeah, more hidden his wheelhouse anyway so he'd be stoked on doing it with me so so i, I you know i try to keep it probably a three-piece still too kind of like where scotch but this is a different hybrid version of it sure and i just think it's so cool that you and tyler still have the 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 bond no matter oh, yeah. what kind of transpired, you know, just as people, it's really oh, cool because yeah. it's, it's really rare to 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 have. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, we, we, yeah, we're still cool and everything. You know, it's like it's a bummer that he's still, you know, I'm not intoxicated anymore and we're not doing that because that was the big, the dumb, the biggest bummer of it because we're such good friends. Like I'm Joel and Tyler, like biggest homies I had in Portland, honestly. And then so it was like it kind of felt like we had a little gang. We were really good friends. So that's like the worst part because I can't go hang out with my buddies, you know, on these tours and shows, but like it is what it is. But no, and Tyler and I are still cool. Yeah, no, no weirdness with that. Now, lastly, I want to thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time to do this. It's uh, always an honor for me to get to talk to you guys. Um, now, where can people find anything Wear Squatch, anything Death Proof, or, or anything <laughs> that you've been, been a, a part of? Well, I mean, it's like, you know, my Instagram, Squatch Lord, you know, that's what your main source of whatever I'm doing. If you, you know, if I'm going to be doing anything and promoting it, it's going to be there first. But like, yeah, we also have our West Squatch uh, Instagram. So, I mean, uh, where Squatch Thrash, I think that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, you know, that might, uh, we might do something with that again. Who knows? It, uh, I mean, I, I'm not trying to abandon it or anything. But yeah, but like, you know, like, but yeah, anyways, long story short, yeah, we're Instagram, Squatch Lord, or the Wear Squatch page on Facebook too, and Bandcamp. Absolutely, gotta have it, man. Now, yeah. thank uh, <laughs> Eric. Thanks so much again for for giving me a few minutes of your time and for another episode of Poppers Corner, guys. We're out of here. Cheers. <laughs>